they basically figured out how to put an Android smartphone in a satellite and make it work. If you can make an Android app or do decent basic programming, you can control a satellite. Hey, podcast listener, you're about to discover insider tips, tricks, and secrets to making more sales and converting more prospects into customers with email marketing. For more information about the email marketing podcast or the autoresponder guy, go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. It's John McIntyre here, the autoresponder guy. I'm here with Brian Lim. Now, Brian is a uh, very interesting guy and a bit different from the usual uh, guest I get on here. We, you know, I've, I've spoken to uh, marketers and entrepreneurs and business guys, and uh, Brian is very much a, a business guy and an entrepreneur. But uh, why I brought him on the show is uh, I've been reading a book called Bold by Peter Diamandis, and uh, it's all about how fast the world's changing and how much faster it's going to change over the coming years. And where this fits into business is I think a lot of people, when it comes to uh, marketing and all that, everyone's talking about how you can you know, build a better sales funnel, how you can build a better business, maybe even sell your business later on with all the startup stuff. But very few people, you know, and sorry, before you, when you're doing that, a lot of people think that's freedom, that that's when you get there, you can be happy, you can retire, you can live on the beach. Or you can go to Thailand and live on the beach and you know, work while drinking coconuts or something. But you get there and then you realize it doesn't make you happy and that what you, all you've really done is created a platform on which to do something interesting with your life. And uh, so what I wanted to talk to Brian was to have a bit of a chat about once you get to that point, what's some of the opportunities, what's going on in the, the world of business right now in terms of what's next? What's, what's going to really get you pumped up and excited and passionate more than just you know, building, a, building an internet business, something like that, something that's going to change the world. So uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but I like it. I like it. Brian, how are you going, man? Very good. John, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Now, one thing, I should have asked this before we started, but I was thinking, because um, you're originally from Singapore, right? <laughs> but you've been in Australia for a while. Yes, that's right. Okay. So do you have, because I think you said mate before, do you have an, like an Australian accent, do you think? Oh, I, I think I have a little bit of it here, Dan. You know, if you want to come get a schooner with me, I'm happy. <laughs> it's kind of funny too. It's a bit ironic. You're, in, you're from Singapore, but you're in Sydney right now where I'm from, and I'm in Singapore, and uh, I'm actually from Sydney. So it's kind of like that <laughs> reverse thing going. <laughs> uh, we'll swap places one day. <laughs> one day, man. Let's do it. So before we get into some of this uh, singularity stuff, the exponential stuff, can you give the listener a, a quick bit of a background on who you are and what you're up to? Okay, so um, as you guys know, uh, I'm actually the, the space guy, and I, what I, you know, when I go to a club and I try to talk to a nice lady, I, and they ask me what I do, I'll just say I build spaceships. Um, <laughs> What's the response that, to that? <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I would say a lot of people uh, say, so a lot of people think that I'm just I'm just pulling their leg. You know, they think I'm at a bar. I'm just I'm just I'm trying to drop an interesting conversation. So you build spaceships, cool. And then the guy says, yeah, I'm a vampire. <laughs> um, but, so you, you actually know, build spaceships? Yes, I do, sir. Okay. You know, um, so what I do is that I am right now working with the government of Australia, universities in Australia, corporate entities in Australia on the design and manufacturing of spacecraft and building a space business ecosystem that will actually take Australia to space. No, have we ever been to space? I don't think we have. Well, actually, it's funny. I'll, I'll give you two very interesting pieces of note. Australia is actually the third country to have ever put anything in space. Okay. All right? Right behind, after Russia, the US, it became Australia right after that. And the, the second busiest spaceport in the world today is Woomera. Hmm. That's right? In, Which is in uh, South Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is the second busiest spaceport in the world, right behind Cape Canaveral. 
So when you say it's the busiest spaceport, I mean, like, I I don't know how much, um, uh, how much space traffic, like you say, if you've got the busiest airport, there's a ton of traffic going through that. So when you say the busiest spaceport, how much traffic goes through the, you know, the second busiest spaceport? Basically, they launch something every week. Oh, wow. Okay. So, wow. That's more than I thought. Yes. And are these, are these like runs to, they're going to satellites, the International Space Station? What sort of, when we're talking about launches and traffic, what's going on? You know what? Actually, no one knows because all the, it's the second busiest, but we, nobody knows what they're flying. It's all military confidential. Ah, huh, interesting. Okay. Fair enough. So maybe the military is building a huge base on the moon right now and no one even knows about it. Exactly. They're feeding out alien master overlords. Exactly. It's one of those <laughs> things where like, uh, it's like the movies where an alien attacks the planet and uh, only the CIA or only the special you know, spies and agents know about it. No one else seems to know about it and, and they never find out and they get, their memory gets wiped and all that. Maybe that's what's happening right now. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, very MIB-like of you. <laughs> so you've been, to, you've been to Singularity University. You said you um, did the International Space University which uh, is a space university, and now you've got uh, five space startups and three of them are going pretty well. So what are you thinking? I mean, we had a bit of a chat about this before, but where are you thinking this is going? We talked about like, um, what I find really interesting about this is the whole, we, we are wired in our brains to think linearly in terms of one plus one plus one, you know, so, you know, times one 30 times and you get to 30. Whereas if you mm-hmm. do like one meter exponentially by doubling it every time, you get some pretty big numbers. That's right. And that's what's interesting, right? Because no one, it's very, most people don't understand this. So when we think about, well, computers are getting you know, faster every year, we don't, our brains don't grasp the speed at which things are starting to move. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You so, know, so I, go ahead. I was going to say, so where, where, where's it all going? Well, um, you know, I think you've got to look at, one of the very simple way to look at it is innovation, okay? Whether you understand the pace, of, you, everyone knows that innovation is getting faster and faster and faster. Hmm. When it, so the question to ask you is when is innovation going to be so fast that you cannot keep up anymore? So right now, um, if you think about it, the internet, when it was invented in the 1990s, took seven years to be adopted by 25% of the American population. Now, electricity, on the other hand, took somewhere around 40 years yeah. when it was invented. So if you think about that line, we're going to approach a point where our adoption of new technologies is going to be so rapid that nobody can actually keep up anymore. To give you an idea, um, Uber, as everyone knows, is a car company, is the car uh, ride-sharing company, right? Yeah. Now, it came into Australia two years ago, and now, two years on, it has taken 20% of the taxi market yeah. outright. Now, and no one would have expected an organization like Uber to appear. I mean, when it first started, you know, it's now, it's, it wasn't worth much. Now it's worth, a, what, $10 billion. Yep. So companies like that are going to come and go. Data says that um, an average lifespan of a billion-dollar company used to be 60 years. It's now going to be 15. Hmm. So a lot of what we're going to create is going to become irrelevant very quickly. And we have to be accommodate and get used to the fact on how do we constantly innovate to stay in touch or how do we build a business or an organization that can last for centuries past this point. That sounds like it's the, uh, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow in the sense that if, because I mean, I've heard this before too, like, you know, the billion dollar company lasting 60 years, now it's lasting 15. Uh, someone said recently, this was an article on Forbes, one of these sites where it said something like, uh, 75% of what's on the Inc. 500 or the Inc. 50, um, some of the top companies in the world, none of those companies exist yet 
in uh, you know the ones in say 2020. I don't know what the actual stat was, but it was like 75% of the companies in 2020 that'll be like 75% of the biggest companies in the world in 2020 don't even exist yet. That's right. Which is kind of crazy when you think it's like, well, what will those companies be? <laughs> yeah, and you know what? General consensus right at the top. You know, I've spoken to Peter Demendez, Ray Kurzweil, and a whole bunch of other people. We don't know. Hmm. We actually have no idea what it's going to look like. You know. Hmm. So when you think about it for a moment, it's not that we don't know. What it translates into, it's it's anybody's game. Yeah. Yeah. One one thing I find with this is that like we talk about like um, you know when you read like a self help book and it's going on about you know you've got to get in touch with your dreams from when you were a kid and how you. Uh, you know, if you wanted to be an astronaut, for example, you know, you've got to get in touch with that and find out if you can actually be an astronaut and if you can't be, go and work for a space company, for example. And where this is interesting is I think a lot of people would hear something like this and it's even people who are very successful with what they do already with life, they're going to have that attitude of, well, I can't really build a space thing. They, it just feels like it's so far out of reach or even be one of the people to build one of these multi-billion dollar companies in less than, a, you know, do like Instagram and do it in you know, 18 months or something. And... Uh, I think that uh, people are, I think, gradually waking up to the point where this is the exponential thing, where when you start to grasp the potential of, of how an exponential uh, curve works, anyone, if they're willing to do the work and get involved, can go from being just a random person with maybe a small business or something like that, some, some mild success, but nothing in the grand scheme of things, to going and, going and doing something absolutely life-changing, you know, changing, life-changing for billions of people on the planet. Exactly. Um- and that's one of the opportunities we have is that we're now in an age where you can build a big business and you can also save the world at the same time. You know, if, if you want to be a billionaire, just sell $1 a product where you make a dollar from to a billion people. Yeah, that's like, you know, and, that's like what uh, WhatsApp did, right? $1 a year for, I don't think they had one, I don't know how many people they got on there. They sold it to Facebook for $19 billion though. Exactly. It's incredible. You know, so, when you think about the, how fast this stuff, not even just that, well, how fast this wealth is being created that someone can kind of, you know, you got Instagram in 18 months and WhatsApp and, you know, some of these other companies, Viber was something like $900 million. And it's like Instagram had 13 employees. <laughs> yep. 13 employees and was sold to Facebook for a billion dollars. It's incredible. It's, it's, and, it's, and obviously, it's not as easy as just sitting down and building an app and then, you know, you go make a billion dollars. But... Man, it's exciting. Is this to go over to that freedom thing? Is you kind of get to once you've got a business and you've got your freedom and whatever that means to you, whatever level you need to be at, then it's a bit like, all right, you can do anything you want now with your life. You have the time, you have the money for the most part. Now you can do whatever you want. So what's going to get you most excited when you get up in the morning to go and do stuff? Would you really want to sit around and play video games all day, or would you want to go and you know tell people at the bar that you built spaceships? Um, you, you already know my answer. I do the second and, and any day in a heartbeat. <laughs> Interesting. What? 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 I mean, because you have an accelerator, right? Yes. So you do you work with younger people, or I mean, not necessarily younger, but less experienced people, and set them up and say mentor or coach them that kind of thing. Yes, we do. Yeah. And so, what so, sort of? How does that work? And what, what sort of barriers and problems do you run into when you're talking to people about this? Well, I think the first thing is perception. You know, when I say there's this mentality of to do space, you need to be a rocket scientist, and I'm not a rocket scientist, and therefore I can't do it. Okay. And, and that's the first thing I'm, I'm faced with as a challenge. And you know what's the funny thing is? I can t- I'll, t- I'll give you a real example. There's a satellite. It's, called, uh, it's three satellites. It was launched. It was called the GRACE mission. It was, design- it was launched um, to measure the gravity of the Earth's planet field accurately, all right? And on board it, it had a few sensors. It had a, a gyroscope, 
three-axis accelerometer and a GPS and a few other instruments. The first mission was about 200 million. The second follow-on mission was 520 million. And now if I were to compare that with something that you already have, which would be your smartphone. So you have a, you have, it's actually no more than $1,000. You have a accelerometer, you have a GPS, you have a touchscreen, a decent speaker, you know? The cost difference is amazing. So the truth is that we can now actually build satellites really cheap. In fact, if you, you can, anyone in your audience can Google this. It's called PhoneSat. NASA built it. They basically figured out how to put an Android smartphone in a satellite and make it work. So if you know anything about programming, you're using JavaScript to actually write the Android app, which translates to that if you can make an Android app or do decent basic programming, mm. you can control a satellite. So you can actually launch your own satellite from your house into space? Not from your house just yet. I don't have enough rubber bands to do that just yet. <laughs> um, uh, but I wish, but you can actually do so. So f- just from that perspective alone on, of difficulty, it's incredible. You can do something. Yeah. The, you know, the next challenge I have is people think it's really expensive. If I ask you right now, how much do you think it costs me to put something in space? What do you think it will cost? Oh, five. Well, I can, I've kind of read some of these books. I, I was going to say like $5,000. $5,000. Actually, you're right. Wow. Like, let's not kid ourselves here. So the $5,000 is a launch cost for what we call a CanSat. It's the size of a Coke can, and it's a really small piece of hardware. It's, it's basically there to go up there and say, beep, 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 I exist. So you can't spy right? on your friends with it? No, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, look, the cheapest satellite I've ever seen so far built that works, right? It's $50. It's called the $50 satellite. Yeah. Okay. Now you're not going to make a commercial product of it, but that's how cheap it's getting. Yeah. Now, for me, I've calculated. You, if you had between about two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you can actually sit down and design a viable space business. Now, two fifty is build, launch, and maintenance of a satellite. You could actually figure this out. You could do it. Because one thing I've wondered about is how this translates to, like it. It could be one thing to kind of sit down and play around with some of this stuff and spend a bit of money just as a hobby kind of thing. But how do you make this? How do you take that $250,000 and make it a business? Okay. So this is one of the challenges is that you don't know space and very people don't understand the model. So one of the interesting things that people do is, is actually education. If you think about it for a moment, when you have something up there, what are you providing back to Earth? Information. Exactly. So the value of the information is, of course, greater than the hardware itself. So if you would provide education, let's say, I'm going to teach kids on how a spacecraft works. They're going to walk with me through my journey on building a spaceship, and it goes up. That itself is a potential business, especially with the focus on STEM education. Yeah. You know? If you want to talk about, um, if you put a big enough camera on board, okay, then you fall into the model of Planet Labs, where you're taking photos of the Earth. Yeah. Okay. You know, and telling you what's going on. Now, let's go into the next one. Um, we have, you know, we have a special kind of area, uh, which we call, you know, which you think you always know as GPS. You know, it gives you position, navigation, and timing. Yeah. Okay. Now, what's really cool about this that people don't realize is that GPS is not as accurate as you think it is. So. When you use GPS and GPS alone, not the cell phone towers, but just GPS, it's plus minus 10 meters accuracy. Now, for you to go down the street to find something there, it's no big deal, right? Yeah. Now, if you're flying an airplane, 
and you're going to hit the runway, or you are trying to maximize the land on a farm for, further, for you to plant crops, 10 meters is suddenly a very big deal. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who are building technologies and services around augmenting GPS, you know, okay. to make it more accurate. Yeah. You know, and I've been reading a, recently um, on a brand new uh, model for space that, I, that at least was brand new to me, is that people have been using GPS to measure waves. Yeah. So imagine that it goes over the ocean, GPS hits the ground, it gets reflected back to space. So the signals are then read by a satellite that determines the height of a wave. So potentially, it could be a disaster warning prediction mechanism where it's checking the Pacific Ocean on a regular basis mm. and it can say, I detect that a tsunami is happening because the wave has gone up past a certain height yeah. and I'm tracking its movement on approach to a coast. Okay. That is, these are the kind of businesses you can build in space you know, that are actually real today. Interesting. You know, we can lo- we, I love the conversation of like asteroid mining and you know, space tourism and other things, but those things take time and they are much further away. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so we're talking about like yeah, if you want to get in space tourism, you need to be Richard Branson with a billion dollar budget to go and buy and build and fund uh, the project. But you're saying so if you if you know you could be anyone, you can put together a company for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yes, you, you could even bring on. You don't even need that. Doesn't even need to be your two hundred fifty grand. You can go and fund that with investors, mm-hmm. um, and you're in business. You're in the space business. Pretty much. And what? You know, in terms of like, because this is pretty exciting to think that like anyone these days could start a space company and then be like, well, hey girl, I build rockets. <laughs> but, <laughs> in that voice. But uh, so it's, it's, it's cool in that sense. But then what, in terms of like viability as a business model, is this something that, that the market is ready for? Or is it sort of still like a tinkerer's, kind of like still like, um, like a hobby field? Okay. The best way to look at it is to imagine that the space industry now is how the internet was in the early 1990s. You know, it was a wild, wild west. There was a lot of unknowns. Nobody knew how to do everything. If you could figure a way to make money, awesome. And if you didn't, there were plenty of failures as well. But the opportunity is there. When we say we don't know what the next business is going to look like, it's very much a wild, wild west situation. I like that. Just like the, just like the internet was. That's a good parallel. But then that means, though, is that maybe not right now, maybe not for five or ten or twenty years, that there's going to be at some point some kind of a space bubble, just like there was a you know two thousand tech bubble, where everyone's like, it sort of reaches that fever pitch where everyone's going crazy because all of a sudden there are companies that are making money and mm-hmm. uh, investors are going insane trying to get in on it. The whole thing's going to implode, and then there's going to be it's going to be a bit like the internet in that sense. It's a really interesting way to think about it because then let's say that happens at twenty twenty five. The whole thing implodes. You get in on 2026 on the ground, you know, when it's all when it's all just completely messed up, and it's really easy to start a company really cheap, and uh, or you just buy someone's company, and then it goes back up again in 2030, 2035. So there's gonna be a lot of like this riding the ups and downs of the next few decades. Yeah, you know, it, it's gonna it, the, the bubbles will come and go. I mean, there's a housing bubble and everything, and so no industry is ever immune to it. Yeah. The difference I would say is that the assets. Uh, imagine this towards the height of the bubble. I get enough money from the capitalist and says, I am going to go and build and, and capture an asteroid and bring it back to Earth. And this asteroid has a trillion dollars worth of ore, okay? Mm. Now, somewhere along the way, the bubble bursts and then my company goes bankrupt. But yep. do you know what? I still have a mission pulling that actually has bringing back a $1 trillion asteroid that's halfway progressing. 
Yeah. If I've already launched and say, let's say I've already got the asteroid and I'm on my way home when it bursts, yeah. you, somebody's going to buy me because they want that asteroid yeah. because that's business. So the bubble is going to be a very different kind of bubble. You're going to have very smart people who know how to buy the right assets to go through the bubble. Hmm. What's, what's interesting too, I just realized, is that right now, if you, like if you want to go and buy some land and get some, you know, to, to get the oil out of it or go buy a mountain and mine some gold, you need to buy it off someone else. But we're talking in space. This is virgin territory that no one's been in. So it's, that, it's like the first settlers that no one owns it. So if, you, if you're the first person to find the asteroid, you don't have to buy it. It's, it's just your asteroid because you found it first, right? That's right. Which is, that's kind of, that's kind of insane to think about it because we've never, like, I've never, none of us grew up in that kind of thing where you can imagine if you could just walk into the, like, you know, we're from Sydney, right? So you walk, imagine walking, being able to walk into the Blue Mountains and you go, I like this cliff and this patch of land and these, like, 10 acres here. I'm just going to build a house right here because I like the place. It's mine now. Pretty much. Hmm. It's pretty interesting too. I like how simple it is for someone to get into as well. Do you reckon it's right? You know, right now it's going to be good. Or how long do you reckon before it's going to start picking up? Uh, I mean, it sounds like you know from what I, the people that I'm speaking to, it sounds like it's 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 right at that point now where it's starting to kick into the next gear. Well, you know what? I, I'm going to go against that and say the gear has already kicked in. You know, so I can tell you there's been about what 200. No. Um, I last said there was a billion dollars of investment that has already entered the space industry, like, like Space 2.0, all our small guys and new companies getting started. Okay. All right? And we also had the first space skybox imaging was sold to Google for half a billion dollars. And that's the first exit. What so was people that? Space now, skybox? What's that? Uh, skybox. So skybox had a very interesting business. Skybox basically built satellites to take pictures of the Earth, like most people. But what they were trying to take pictures of was of factories. They were, and, and, and parking lots. They wanted to know how many, how many trucks was going in and out of the Foxconn factory making your iPhone. So they, they could then go on the stock market and hedge their bets on buying and selling people stock. Interesting. Okay, so you, cause you go, if you see a whole ton of trucks going out of Foxconn, you're like Apple's just made a bunch of sales, and the share price is going. You know, the company's going to grow in the next say few days or few weeks, so it's getting a jump on the market. Exactly. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. Exactly. So they were bought by Google, and you know they're doing their thing. So the where we're going is absolutely incredible. It's it's, it's almost impossible to to figure out what's going to happen next. Hmm. Are you excited about it? Without a doubt. <laughs> That's a silly I mean, would, would I be, honestly, would I be doing space if I was not excited about it? No, I think it's a very boring thing. <laughs> it's, I'm curious, like, what it's, you know, because, you know, I'm not working in space right now, but if I was, I imagine that when I get up in the morning and, like, when it comes to telling people what I do or that kind of thing, it'd, it'd be really hard not to be excited about it. It would just be like, I'm working on space. Like, what, 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 what's better than that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's really exciting to wake up every morning. Um, I'm reading books, talking to people that I never thought possible. Like, I, I honestly started my space journey in uh, January 2013, a little over two years ago. And I would not have expected to be sitting in a position where I'm now having conversations with NASA, the European Space Agency, um, the we had, we had this, when I was building, we were in the early days of Delta V when we were getting it off the ground, we had this weird conversation that came across our table. It, we actually met um, the, 
a, a diplomatic mission from Japan to Australia, and you know, for diplomacy stuff. And they actually mentioned um, they were interested in providing discounted launches on the Japanese space rockets as part of their diplomatic package to improve relations with Australia. Now, we'll leave it as that, okay? Like that's some, uh, uh, but the very fact that that was even mentioned. Now, I'm a startup trying to get stuff off the ground. Yeah. I'm not expecting to, to be talking with big government, let alone, oh, we'll need you to improve our diplomatic relations with another country. This is top-level stuff. It's absolutely insane. So, I'm, so now I, I speak with people that, you know, I didn't even believe if would, would even take my call oh, two years ago. Yeah. Moving up in the world, man. Exactly. <laughs> One thing also that uh, Peter Diamandis mentions in, the, in bold is, and this makes a lot of sense, that you know, right now we've got billionaires, and billionaires are getting created fairly quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. He mentions that space is going to be where the first trillionaires are made. Yes, and I actually agree with that. If you think about it, when I said $1 trillion for an asteroid, we're not actually, I'm not actually pulling a number out, uh, out of thin air. Um, if you pull up like, the data on how big an average asteroid rock is and you find the right kind of asteroid, some of them have right now a market value of over a trillion dollars in ore. Can you sell that on the open? Is, is, there, enough, like, is there a market for a trillion dollars worth of ore? Well, considering the global economy is $263 trillion when I last checked, <laughs> okay. I think the answer is yes. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> what sort of ore are we talking about? I'm going to look this up. Is this platinum or something? Yeah, so it's, we call them platinum group metals. They are the heavier metals. So what happens when a planet is newly formed? You know, it's bombarded by asteroids. As it cools, um, the heavier metals sink to the core. So the Earth is quite a cool planet. So a lot of them have sunk to the planet. So the ones that we have been mining are relatively recent. And I would say the last, what, 250,000, 500,000 years? Yeah. So when they run out, they run out. But the asteroids still have them. Yeah, okay. Okay, interesting, interesting. This is big stuff, man. This is, uh, this is like next level. But it's cool. Yeah. I think I really think there is that clear path of someone going from, and someone's listening to this probably thinking, well, I just got a website and kind of sell a few products online and stuff. Like, how am I going to do space? It's like, well, <laughs> you could do it. Okay. Could, yeah, tell me. I, how okay, do you I'm, do it? I, I'm, I'm going to cut you right there because I'm going to say something for your listeners because if you as a listener is saying, I just build a website, I just fix computers, I can't do space. John, you didn't actually ask me what was my background before space. And I'll tell you that my degree was in IT. I would be fixing your internet connection and, putting in, and reinstalling your print drivers. You cannot ever tell me that you can't do space because you just built websites. Hmm. I cannot, for, and this is for the technical geeks, I still can't fix the CSS templating on my website by myself. I still suck at basic website design and construction. Okay, and have a freaking degree in it, and I now I'm doing space shit, space crafts. You can because I've done it. How did you make the transition though? How do you go from being an IT guy who fixes computers to being in space? Did you go to Singularity University? Was there like a, just a quick transition like that? How did it happen? Well, I actually thought about it for a while, and I applied to actually study at the International Space University. Now, before you guys think that's a ma- it's an incredible university. I only did a five-week summer course. That's all I could do. Hmm. All right? Five weeks. I got basic knowledge. I got all the slides. I got all the references. 
And all I did after that was I started reading. My first 12 months out of, out after that was just studying and talking to people nonstop. I still don't know the exact technicals of certain details, but I knew enough back then to begin the journey. Now I sit here, I have, five, I have finished five startups. Uh, right? I, I, have, I, created, I have created an accelerator uh, and I'm looking at technologies and solutions that will get me other places. It will, I only finished Singularity University last year, from June to August, when I did the graduate studies program. All right? Mm, yeah. It's part of my journey on the way. It was not how I began. Because, so I mean, this is one of the things I've been thinking about is reading, uh, reading Bold. So this is the, the book by Peter Diamandis. Is, mm-hmm. is this idea of, of it's, it's not impossible to get into. The, the way I was thinking about it is I was like, all right, well, if I'm so excited about this, what would be the next step? And obviously, you, know, you can read a book about it. But the next step, I think, is ultimately going to be connecting with other people who are doing it. So whether you do that by going to the International Space University or going to Singularity University or going to finding, even just online, uh, you know, even like this, this is why I reached out to you through a, a mutual friend of ours to kind of be like, I heard you're into this space stuff. Can we have a chat sometime? Because that's where it starts. Because then, you, then you, you meet someone who's, I mean, and so now that you're listening to this, um, you're going to have the same experience where you, you, if you hear someone, even if you're a one step or two steps removed and you can kind of put yourself in their shoes and think, yeah, maybe I could do that. Maybe like, they don't sound that different to me. You just got to fix computers. How hard going to be? And that's the, exactly the sort of response or that's exactly what happens when you spend time with people who are playing at a, at a bigger level is you start to level up without even trying. It's just how the brain works. Exactly. You want to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? Take your pick. Hmm. So it really seems like it's just that decision, just making that. Because you can't, you know, people, you're not going to be able to wake up tomorrow and just start a. Well, maybe you could just start a space business. But most people have; they already have a job or have a business or anything like that. So, someone you're saying that someone could have a job right now, and they could still, conceivably, within the next, realistically, within the next couple of years, get into the space business if they wanted to. One hundred percent. Maybe they, and maybe you know, they'll be the trilli- they'll be the first trillionaire in a few years' time. Yeah. I totally agree. You know, you're reading bold right now. And so one of the things I think you will eventually re- reach in the book is that everyone you admire in your entire life, be it your parents, be it the billionaire, the teacher across the street, it or whoever, the people you admire, you admire them because of their ability to overcome the circumstances that were placed before them. So if you look at your life right now, you have things that you have to be responsible for, be it family, a house, a wife, a partner, who knows? Being able to, to understand and be responsible for them while making sure you can chase the dreams you want to chase is what gets you places. And every single one of person that you probably have ever interviewed, you've ever admired, you know, has done that to some degree. Yeah. And the better you are at it, the better you will go places. Hmm. Absolutely. Cool. I think that's a good note to finish on. So before we wrap this up, though, if, if the listener wants to learn more about you or, or maybe get in touch with you or hear about this accelerator, where is the best place for them to go? All right. So for my accelerator, it's www.deltavspacehub.com. All right. And if you want to get in touch with me, my Twitter handle is boldbrian. Sweet. Cool. Anywhere else? So that's the that's the two things you want to mention. Well, you know what? I think that, that that's a great great place to get started. If you need to find me, I'm sure uh, you will find me at the TED conference this year. The TED conference. Okay, the TED, not TEDx, the actual TED conference. 
Okay, so I am, I actually, as a TED, I am going to TED Active, which is a conference that runs parallel to the main TED, run by TED this year. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going there, I go there, I'm going there every, I go there every year now. Yeah. Now to spend time with the people there. So you, if, if you see me there, say hi. <laughs> say hi, for sure, for sure. Cool. All right, man. I'll have links to, uh, to all that in the show notes at uh, themakemethod.com. It's been really good talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. No, my pleasure. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to discover more insider tips, tricks, and secrets about driving sales with email marketing, sign up for daily email tips from the autoresponder guy. Go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast, sign up, confirm your email address, and I'll send you daily emails on how to improve your email marketing and make more sales via email. You'll find out why open rates don't matter and the seven-letter word that underlies all effective marketing and much more.